Welcome to the Life Curation Podcast. I'm your host, Andrina Tisi. Together, we will explore thoughts, inspirations, and conversations that feed our soul, spark the mind, and nourish the body. Thank you so much for being here to learn and grow and for walking this journey called life with me. Hi there, I am so happy that you're here listening into my conversation with Michelle Grant today. And Michelle and I met a few years ago at a co-working space in Zurich. Michelle is a sustainability expert and she also says about herself that she's actually not quite sure what her job title is, whether coach, transformation catalyst, purpose doula, transformation facilitator, educator, or community builder. And from my conversation with her, and I'm sure once you listen in, you will agree that she is all of it and more. We talk about how we are the dreamers and leaders of a sustainable and joyful world and how we can create this sustainable change for ourselves, our communities and the planet. The manifesto I'm referring to in our conversation is on Michelle's website and it's also linked in the show notes, downloaded, <laughs> hang it up and refer to it. It's really wonderful. And you will notice in our conversation that it really hits home for me. There is a moment where I get quite emotional. <laughs> we also touch on the Enneagram and Michelle explains how she incorporates that into her work. And if you want to learn a little bit more about the Enneagram, there is a episode on the podcast. It is in Swiss German, but I will link it in the show notes so you can refer back to that if you're interested in. Before we dive into our conversation, I would like to give you a little bit more background on Michelle. She has worked at the forefront of research, education and practice for nearly 20 years. She was the founding executive director of the World Food System Center at the ETH Zurich, which is a research and education center that tackles complex food and sustainability challenges. And exactly through this work, she became passionate about the question of how we really create and interact with change when trying to build a better world. And then she combined her experience working in sustainability with her training as a leadership coach, yoga and meditation teacher and Enneagram coach to set up the grateful 
This is a platform that helps women explore new ways of leading to change from the inside out to build both personal and planetary well-being. The Grateful, which is also the name of her book, which she wrote three years ago. But it also includes coaching programs, leadership training, a community and a podcast that all help us explore the interface between purpose and joy as we engage with sustainable change. It was a very meaningful conversation for me and I hope you will enjoy it as much and will leave inspired to create change for yourself, for your communities and for our planet. Have fun. Michelle, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. So to kick it off, I have a few icebreaker questions for you. First of all, what is your star sign? I am Libra. I'm born in October. Nice. I'm on so I know a great deal about it, so... <laughs> I'm hoping you're not going to ask me too much. No, 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 no. I just find I'm on the verge of of um, Libra. I'm on the edge. I'm on the last day of Virgo, so I'm almost. I feel like the Virgo influence, uh, the Libra influence in me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, what is your favorite season of the year? Oh, summer. That's easy. I grew up in Australia, so it's uh, where I feel most at home. Winter is uh, difficult for me. <laughs> well, especially for you, it's like. Do you feel it? Interesting because, you know, the summer for you or like how you grew up is actually when we have winter. So is that even more challenging? Yeah, absolutely. And and you see that there are so many things described and set up around the Northern Hemisphere seasons. And so, you know, anyone living in the Southern Hemisphere is used to, to swapping a lot of things all the time because, you know, whenever anyone's talking about summer, they're talking about the middle of the year and for us it's the end of the year so yeah it's it's totally. yeah and what book is currently on your nightstand <laughs> what book isn't on my nightstand might be a better question <laughs> I'm always managing the the tower of 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 uh, books that are there um at the moment I'm actually reading a book about the five seasons in uh from Chinese medicine Ooh. And Chinese medicine theory. So that's actually quite interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. Cool. And what's always in your fridge? Oh, vegetables, always. <laughs> do you have a favorite vegetable? Yeah, sweet potato. Can do so much with it. It's like that's the old true. rounder. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> okay. Well, you have a wonderful manifesto, and we'll, of course, link it <laughs> in the show notes because people can download it. Um, And on the very top, you say, we are the dreamers and leaders of a sustainable and joyful world. We know the seeds of everything we want to see around us begin inside us. Mm -hmm. And I just love how you put dreamers and leaders. (laughs) And it actually rhymes that like what I then afterwards when I was saying it, I was like, wow, it rhymes as well. (laughs) And I just love how you put that in the same sentence, pretty much right next to each other, because I, I think sometimes we think it's either one or the other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and 
to begin with, I would love for you to to tell us what does it what the kind of the quote unquote title or term leader. What does what is that for you? Because I also think a lot of people have different connotation, different meanings. So I would love to hear what it is for you. Mm. Well, first of all, I, I like that you pulled out the dreamers and the leaders. I think that was important for me because a lot of the yeah, traditional leadership dialogue or the way people engage with leadership is sometimes detached from a visioning of a different future, even though, you know, that's that's what leadership should be walking us towards. And so I think for me, it's integral in my understanding of leadership. It's that ability to envisage a different future, to be able to um, feel into, sense into, imagine a, a way that you know, supports the well-being of ourselves, of others and the planet as a central focus of that. And a leader is someone who then helps walk themselves and others in that direction. And for me, that leadership being about leading yourself is just a, a central foundation to it. And I think we've got ourselves in a lot of trouble after many years of considering leadership as a very outward-oriented concept, that it's about, you know, directing others somewhere and it's in my opinion fundamentally about starting with ourselves and uh, leading ourselves in a direction towards greater well-being first and foremost mm -hmm. yeah I I agree and that's why I wanted to ask because I think um, that's what kind of quote-unquote the old view is right that outside um view of, of leadership or like I also find it really interesting the difference between management or leadership right it's something completely different in a way I mean it's it's connected but it's also very different yeah yeah right? yeah and I, I mean I think there are complementary skill sets in in both of those things but for me what differentiates the leadership part is is again that vision for the future that idea of where we're going and shaping that together in a, in a kind of co-creation process and Management for me is then more about kind of the, the processes and the structure and the, um, you know, the hitting of the goals and and yeah. <laughs> picking off of the task. But you need to have some sort of idea of where you're going and why. Um, and that's, that's for me, more of the leadership component of it. And in terms of, you know, also, you know, dreams and vision and maybe even mission, <laughs> They're also all connected and very similar, but still different. Can you talk a little bit about that, what it is for you and what you see in the world, also with the people you work with and your work? Uh, so my understanding of sort of vision yeah. and mission. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the kind of classical understanding of it is, is the, the vision is the longer term place you're walking to, the where do you want to go? maybe something you don't even see in your lifetime, but it's the, the dream you want to see. And the mission is like the way you are going to contribute to that. You or your organization more concretely is going to contribute to that. And so I, I think those two pieces are important because one is the more visionary aspect, the more aspirational aspect that, you know, it could be that we don't see in our lifetime. And then to break that down and think, okay, what piece of that puzzle, what piece of the pie, what contribution can I make towards that with my resources, with our resources in this, in this time that we have? I think the two pieces need to go together. Yeah, and that brings me, of course, to the, <laughs> the million-dollar question. 
you know, you also talk about sustainable change and how we can create it. And I do feel, and, you know, I would like to go into that afterwards a little bit more detail, but we do live in a time of big change and have, have been for a while, but I think it's, yeah, I think a lot of people can feel it, but it's also that how do we even, how do we create this, this change also, yeah, sustainably, also sustainably in the outer world and in the inner world, right? <laughs> and, and also how do we figure out what our, our individual role is and how can we, you know, be part of the movement of change in a way? Mm. Yeah, I think that's, that is the million dollar question, right? <laughs> that everybody's trying to work out for themselves. And it's also why increasingly I, I spend my time supporting people to work that out because I think it's pretty much one of the most important explorations we can do in our lifetime is understanding how to make a contribution in a way that's also fulfilling and joyful. Um, and I mean, I got to that from personal experience. I've worked in sustainable development and more recently sustainable food systems for over 20 years. And I spent a lot of time there in conferences talking about how do we tackle these big global challenges and, you know, big international processes and forums and projects and all of that's important yet I also saw in the process the way we were engaging with that change was completely unsustainable personally mm -hmm. like people yeah. were burning themselves out um, working so much that you know there was kind of nothing left to actually have the energy to envisage something different in the end kind of getting ourselves really trapped in in the status quo and so for me that increasingly became an interesting question. Okay, we've got these big challenges. How do we actually create change? Who is leading change at the moment? How could we do that differently? And what does it really mean for me personally? And, and how can I move away from this place of kind of burning myself out in, in servitude and to actually see how joy and fulfillment can be a fuel for my contribution um, rather than something that I hope to have on the side one day once I finish tackling these big, these big issues. So I find that a really interesting area. And I also see with the people that I work with when we're able to move to that place, how, um, how much more energized their way of engaging with these challenges can be. It's not, to, it's not all just doom and gloom, but it's kind of moving from working from a place of fear to working from a place of love, which is much more about what do I want to create? What do I want to contribute? And how can I care for myself in that process as a foundation for that work? Yeah. And I mean, a couple of um, things I want to touch on, like one, and that I, I love that again. And I mean, in the first, you know, thing I, I mentioned on your manifesto, you also have a like, also this combination of love is like, the sustainable and joyful aspect because I also feel like sometimes like oh if it's like sustainable I need to like stop doing so many things so it is sustainable <laughs> mm -hmm. and and then the combination with joy right I think it's so powerful and also um I think you know in your book you also talk about eating with purpose and joy and I think again that has so much um power because it's both mm. and choice sustainable and joy and it's that you know yeah it's not the doom and gloom <laughs> like you said mm. however i do 
And I mean, I know for myself, sometimes it gets overwhelming. Like, you know, I'm like, oh my God, you know, the world, where are we going and, and all that? And what, what can I do? And, um, and how do we, you know, when we, let's say like we are in a moment of this um, overwhelm and maybe even feeling paralyzed because we don't even know what to do. Um, maybe also from, from your personal um, journey and, you know, in your work, you know, kind of like when we're in this moment of like, oh my God, I don't even know what to do. How can we then shift back into this love and joy and feeling of self-empowerment in a way as well? I think that's a great question. I also don't want to give the impression that I never have moments of overwhelm or mm-hmm. doom and gloom. I, th- I think that that's also a natural part of the human experience. Oh, yes. But I just don't, I don't want to always be contributing from that place. And so I think it's easy for all of us to feel overwhelmed at the moment. I also have, you know, big waves of it. There's a lot happening in the world. What I try and notice is just becoming very aware of myself and very aware when I'm getting pulled into this place of paralysis or desperation that comes sometimes with overwhelm and to have some tools in my toolkit that says, okay, in this, the indicators are here. You're in this place of overwhelm paralysis. What are some of the things in the toolkit that I can use now to help me walk myself to a place that's more grounded, that is able to see some of the things that are still good in the world and actually mm-hmm. want to, you know, save them. And, and I think those tools are different for every person. Mm-hmm. I think that it really needs to be a, a personalized journey, but for everybody, tools that help us change our perspective um, to really get us away from this place of it's also overwhelming. I can't do anything. And into this place of, I have some resources. I have some things to offer what's a concrete contribution I can make within my own boundaries. And I always find that when I get then into that place of action, action that's sustainable for me, I start to feel more energized and I start to feel less like, what's the point? It's all going to fall apart anyway. So for me, this idea of, you know, small habits, tiny habits, rituals, um, small actions, they just become so important in times of overwhelm because, it's through engaging with things in a sustainable way that we can come back into a place of action, a place of empowerment, and a place of connection with others who are also trying to find their way. We tend to isolate ourselves when we feel overwhelmed, and that's sometimes very counter counterproductive. Uh, yeah, and then the last two and a half years, you know, have been very isolating. Yeah. But also very overwhelming. So I almost feel like, we need to also readjust again to not just like stay isolated and to reach out, right? And that actually also brings me into the aspect of co-creation and community, mm-hmm. which is also a big part of what you teach, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, how does that, first of all, how is it for you in your work or in your personal development and also with, um, you know, the communities you lead or you, you facilitate, um, yeah, share a little bit how that looks like and what, um, yeah, what magic, what power, what what resourcefulness you you notice out of that. Mm. Firstly, I just liked how you reframe that from communities you lead to communities you facilitate, because that's really important for me. I increasingly see leadership as about being able to facilitate and coach rather than 
lead, particularly in the traditional understanding of that sense. And so indeed, I would say I see my role as a facilitator of, of community, a f- facilitator of interaction, uh, which makes those in the community and their role more important than mine. And I think that's really important when building communities. Um, so what's been important for my work in the last couple of years is indeed to bring together people who are in exactly this place that you're describing, really concerned about these big challenges in the world, committed to them personally and professionally, and looking for support on that journey. How can I find a way to engage that's sustainable, but that's also um, energizing and connecting me to like-minded people? So I run a few different uh, programs and I also do one-on-one coaching and all of the people that I work with there have the chance then to join a community together. And that's a space that I facilitate and and hold that space, but it's really about how can we come together and support each other? What are the questions we're all grappling with, but often not actually talking about in, you know, in our, in our families or our professional settings and how can we explore those questions together, support each other along the way. And so you know, part of that is very informal kind of social exchange, gathering, being there for each other. And then part of it is more formal. So through masterclasses or book club or storytelling circle, different um, different formats where we can come and, and practice and exchange around things that are supportive on our own personal and leadership development journeys. I think there's lots of power in this new way of coming together. Like what you said, instead of like, coming into a group or, or, or a program where, you know, we almost like consume instead of like to contribute, right? And everybody, we can, we can learn all from each other, right? I mean, I noticed that, you know, even, even just like in yoga classes, right? Like, yeah, I may be quote unquote the teacher, but I'm so much <laughs> as well as the student, right? Yeah. And I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's it's all it's all an exchange in knowledge and in energy and in resources as well. Mm, yeah, I think that's a nice way to to frame it. It's like a space for exchange, and that needs to constantly be circulating. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, and and I mean the it's uh, this, the community that I have is for women that work in in sustainability or food systems more broadly, and. I also think that that ability to come together and support each other is so important because we all tend to think the struggles that we're having are as alone. And when we come in community and share in a space that feels safe and feels supportive, we realize, oh, okay, this thing that I can't sleep because of, because I'm ruminating, like so many other people are grappling with it too. And I think that's also important for overcoming systemic barriers and systemic challenges because- we all tend to think, oh, it's just me that can't do it or just me that has imposter syndrome when actually there's systemic issues that we need to tackle and we can only do that if we come together. It's so interesting. I just had, um, was it last week, I think, um, also an, an interview for, for the podcast and pretty much the theme of it all was like the healing power of shared story, mm. right? And it was so beautiful to because we all have our story and there's also maybe there's even shame in those stories right and then or trauma or whatever it is right or or big visions we we, we think it's not are not possible and then when we come together and share these stories right we actually learn that 
there's other big stories. And I also think that we then can see to believe that it's possible. Yeah, I think that speaks to the importance of storytelling too. It's a, a part of the work that I do is you know, helping us all explore how to reconnect with these storytelling skills that as human beings we, you know, we, we have since the dawn of time. It's how we have traditionally shared and exchanged knowledge with one another. And uh-huh. as other formats or ways of sharing knowledge have become more dominant, we've kind of disconnected from those skills. And I think when we can reconnect with them that has a, a really powerful way of getting us out of just the uh the head space and realizing we have these other sources of wisdom um our emotions our, our body and, and storytelling has this great way of bringing that all together and helping us connect on a human level which i think we're all craving <laughs> at the moment so yeah narrative and storytelling it's so important in any sort of change and connection processes mm-hmm. And, you know, your background, your knowledge on, you know, the entire spectrum of food related um, things. I'm curious, what have you seen and what are you seeing is happening right now in terms of, you know, what have you noticed maybe in the past few years? Where do you think we're going? Um, because I do feel there is, I mean, of course, I'm super interested in that as well. Um, but I also have a feeling, and I'm not sure if it's just me who like, notices different things because I'm more, um, you know, when you look for a red car, you only see a red car. It's not that I'm looking for a red car, but <laughs> you know that. Um, I mean, I've, I've been digging a little bit deeper into permaculture and suddenly I have a feeling it's everywhere. But I don't know if it's just me because I'm now, you know, noticing it more. Um but also, you know, you wrote this wonderful book, which, of course, you're also going to link to. And, you know, what, you know, and this was three years ago, right? Maybe you've also noticed a change um, since then. And, yeah, and, you know, the crystal ball <laughs> that you mm-hmm. have in front of you, how, where do you see we're going? And what, what are the challenges and what are the opportunities? Yeah, I wish I had a crystal ball. Um, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think... You asked what's changed in the last three years. Mm-hmm. A lot hasn't changed dramatically. <laughs> and at the same time, we are seeing like a mushrooming of interest and initiatives linking up that I think uh, are gaining momentum. So I started working on the topic of, I worked in a topic more broadly of sustainability and started to focus on food specifically mm-hmm. and its role in, in building a more sustainable world about 10 years ago. Yeah. And at that time, there was not much of an understanding of what is a food system, how important food is in all of these different sustainability challenges, whether it's biodiversity loss or climate change or water usage or the social issues associated with it. And so there's been a massive shift in awareness and interest over that last 10 years. And I would say that's maybe even accelerated in the last three years. I think the pandemic made us all question a lot of the systems that we're a part of just simply by nature of the fact that we kind of had to step out of them or they collapsed or broke or changed in some way. So food was one that people as it's our fundamental need, had to engage with differently during this period of, of isolation and with, with a lot of value chains collapsing or being disrupted. And so what I feel very optimistic about is the 
number of people who were starting to rethink the way they engage with this everyday topic. And that might be from a really small thing, like once a week I'm in and eat no meat or cut out meat or whatever, to a really big thing, which I'm also seeing a lot, people coming to me like I've worked in the past in this field, but I care so much about this topic and now I want to dedicate my professional life to it and I really care about it. So I think um, those things are what make me really optimistic and seeing really cool initiatives from the global level down to very, very local initiatives um, that are concretely trying to envisage and build a different type of food system. And on the other hand, you know, we do still have a lot of these trends in place, whether that's consolidation or, um, you know, decreasing diversity in our food system, exploitation of workers, I and mean, all of those things are continuing and, and in some cases getting worse at the same time. So we have this paradox and holding that paradox, I think is kind of central to what it is to be human of these two ends of the spectrum. And, you know, my hope is just that as more and more people start to see the challenges of the dominant system we're in at the moment, that that polarity, that opposite approach gets more and more momentum and more and more interest and finance and support and everything that it needs to um, take up more space basically and contribute more to our current food system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you you said that you in terms going back a little bit to the leadership aspect um, you work mostly with women in the food industry is that correct uh, not necessarily the food industry so I work with women who I would say generally really care about sustainability challenges mm-hmm. and many of them work within the food system to try and tackle those challenges yeah so they might they might be working in agriculture they might be in research they might be working in a company they might be starting their own initiative to yeah. you know, rescue rescue vegetables and make tasty products out of them so it's a really big range of of things yeah beautiful now if somebody is listening right now and they're you know everybody of us is at their point where they're at right but what do you think are now maybe one or two really tiny steps towards a more sustainable or more sustainability in everyday life that everybody very easily can implement. Mm. So sustainability is a huge topic and there's a lot of areas we could look at under it. The one that I focused on is food because I think it has an incredible potential for change. And we, if we're lucky enough, we eat three times a day. So it's a great place to start. Um, I mentioned this small step before. It doesn't feel like a small step for many people, but it can have an incredible impact, and that is as much as possible reducing your consumption of animal-sourced foods. Um, That doesn't mean becoming completely vegan. It means managing that within your own context, within your own needs, with your your nutritional status, particularly, though, if you live in a place where, you know, you have enough income to be able to source a nutritious diet um, and diverse diet, you normally have a lot of space to reduce the amount of meat that you're eating or animal products that you're eating. So that for me feels like the lowest hanging fruit. Um, And it can be starting where you are. As you said, that's really important for me. It doesn't have to be turning vegetarian overnight. It can be, you know, one day a week where you 
cut out animal source foods or the opposite of just trying to focus on what am I bringing in? I'm bringing more diverse vegetables and plant-based products onto my plate. Um, So that's definitely one to start. The second, I would say low-hanging fruit is looking at the situation of food waste in your um, kitchen, in your home, because in the Western world, a lot of the food waste challenge is actually happening in our in our homes. It's um, where we can immediately start. So that's from making sure that you don't, you know, throw out a lot of food, that you can consume it before the end uh, date, that any vegetable scraps that you have, you're composting them, not throwing them in the bin, um, looking at creative ways to make dishes out of things that don't look so exciting in the fridge. <laughs> it sounds like a not very glamorous thing, but it can have a massive impact because when we throw away food, we're throwing away all of the resources that we used to make it, which are substantial. You're, we're wasting the people's time and energy that often under not very easy circumstances made that food. And then when we throw it away, um, depending on our waste management system, it's it can go into landfill in there. It's creating um, greenhouse gas emissions. So it can have a huge impact. I think the third point I would say is diversity. So we have a really big challenge in our food system that we increasingly focus on just a few crops. So um, wheat, rice, and corn, for example, are like the major grains that we rely on. And then we see how vulnerable that makes us. For example, the situation at the moment in Russia and Ukraine, they're two of the biggest world's wheat producers. So when that's disrupted, it creates huge problems, particularly for people who don't have a lot of money to buy their food. So the more we can diversify the system, it's better. And we can influence that by making sure what's on our plate is diverse. So nutritionists also recommend, you know, 30, I think it's 30 different um, plant-based foods a, a week. So making sure that we, yeah, really make sure that what's on our plate is diverse. It's not the same thing every time. Yeah, and that also helps our body, right? And Absolutely. Our, our gut and our yeah. yeah, it's like a, one of those rare win-win. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love it. I love the, um, also what you said about the, the fridge. Or maybe it doesn't look so attractive in the fridge, but it could also then again be really playful and maybe, you know, coming back to the joy, and just say, hey, what can I create, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I loved how you, like in the book, I think you mentioned um, how, how you love buckwheat so much. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just cooking buckwheat yesterday. So I thought, oh, I was like. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to go circle back a little bit to, um, you know, the um, your coaching and, and leadership aspect, because you also work a lot with the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was so interesting for me. And because the first time I heard about the Enneagram was actually when I was still working in hotels and I was part of a team um, working in sales and marketing. And it was actually part of our, the hotel I worked in, everybody had to do the Enneagram test. And yeah, and I thought it was, for me, it was really helpful, (laughs) you know, also to, to know, you know, more about myself, mm. but also to know about others. Yeah. And, um, you know, without, you know, I think with, with um, whether it's Enneagram or human design or astrology <laughs> or whatever it may be, Myers-Briggs, you know, we also can then be um, putting ourselves or maybe others into a box, mm-hmm. right? But I also do think that, 
it can also be super help, helpful on a you know personal development, self-discovery, but also um, in a team, like I experienced it. And um, now for people who've never heard about Enneagram, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, how would you describe it? Um, and how do you integrate it into your life and into your work? Mm, yeah. So as you just described, it's often understood as a personality assessment, a personality tool, like those other ones that were listed. That is a component of it. And I would say it's much more. So that fear of these tools putting us in a box, what I like to talk about with the Enneagram is it's not putting you in a box, it's helping you understand the box you've built around yourself and some ways that, that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. so good yeah and then and then the ways that you can well maybe not fully get yourself out of that mm -hmm. box yeah. but make the box a bit more transparent make the box a little lighter make the box so that you can move it and that you can take it different places so I think that's um possible with the Enneagram because it goes beyond being just a personality typing tool and it's sometimes described as a a psychological spiritual tool mm -hmm. and that's what differentiates this tool from others is that it is embedded in a you know I guess a philosophical framework of understanding what it means to be human and understanding that um, we have this personality this ego this uh, set of kind of tendencies and patterns that we have to navigate in life but we are more than that that we have this essential self that is goes by many different names depending on your frame of reference yeah. but that place of greater awareness of greater wisdom of greater connection that is our essential self um, the enneagram kind of gives us a pathway to to work walk from a very constricted disconnected view of ourselves as separate from everything to a place of greater connection greater integration and greater ease so um I came across the Enneagram as a part of my coaching training, which I did a few years ago. So I did a, um, a couple of, of different coaching programs, but all of them were in integral coaching. And, and as a part of that, we also got our Enneagram type and learned how to work with it. And then in the last few years, I've done further education to, to um, work as an Enneagram coach. And that's because I found it just such an incredibly changing and transformational tool for me to just get that awareness, what it offers us is awareness of what are my deeper motivators, fears, and drivers, and what are the kind of strategies I've developed to manage them. And it helps us to see the patterns in those strategies, the where they can be helpful, but also where they can be limiting. And because the Enneagram has um, nine different archetypes, we all have a, a central uh, type that you know, accompanies us through our whole life. What's nice about the tool, though, is it shows the connection to all of the different types and how if we can integrate insights and approaches from the nine different types that can help us become more integrated, it can help us loosen the grip of the ego and the personality, and it can help us see new possibilities, new ways forward. And that's what it highlights really nicely for each type. Like these are the strategies, these are the mindsets you tend to go to Yes, they can be very supportive and offer strengths in a lot of circumstances, and this is where it might have its limits. And so it helps us to, to see where are the areas of suffering in my life and how might these patterns be playing out, and then what are some pathways out of that. So it's a, it's a really nice tool in that it's dynamic. It's not this is your type and that's your box and stay in it. It's, uh, 
here, here's a, a bigger picture of what it means to be human and, and how we can all kind of integrate these different aspects to, to find more integration. Oh, you also asked me <laughs> how I'm working with it with others. So in the one-on-one -on -one leadership coaching that I do, I work um, on an individual basis with people. And then I run a program called Lead the Change, which is a leadership and facilitator training program for women who want to lead sustainable change. And there we work with the Enneagram so that we can understand ourselves better as a leader and how we show up in relation to others, because it gives us great insights into these might be your triggers. This might be where you, um, you know, react quite strongly. And that can be really helpful to see those patterns playing out with others so that you can also hold space in a way that um, is understanding of how everyone else is seeing things, which is different to you. And it also gives us greater compassion for ourselves and also for others to understand we're all just humans. We all have these needs. We all have strategies to try and meet them. And that person's strategy might not make any sense to me, but it's making a lot of sense to them. And understanding the Enneagram can kind of help you see that a little bit more clearly. Yeah, I, I love that compassion part. Um, it definitely gave me compassion. Like mm -hmm. when I learned about it, it gave me compassion towards myself. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, also to, um, to my team. I wasn't um, in a manager or leadership role but more like even understanding my boss right yeah, yeah. um and I think you know when when we understand ourselves and others differently or better <laughs> um then the co-creation becomes also more effortless in a way yeah absolutely and I think it's such a helpful tool for exactly that co-creation because it, it helps us kind of see the blocks we're putting up for ourselves. It helps us see the blocks others are putting up and also allows us just space and language to put that on the table. And I, I think that's really beautiful that you did that as a team because yeah. it can be an incredible tool yeah. to help you understand and have compassion for each other and how to best work together. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I want to go back to the manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> I really love it. I have it. I have it printed right here. Oh, so great! Yeah, I do. Love I'll, it. I'll send you a copy that you can frame. Oh. I have a frameable version. Oh wow, amazing! <laughs> um, there's many things that jump out, but one thing I want to read: <laughs> we build pathways to connect the disconnected, integrate the diverse, and weave in the feminine. We earn to deeply know ourselves, peeling back the layers to reveal the gifts we have for the world. This almost makes me cry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so nice watching you read it and have that impact. Oh my God, I really do have tears in my eyes. I think it's so beautiful. May I ask what, it, what it's triggering inside of you? I think it has such a um, softness, self-compassion, and still so much power in it mm. you know um is there one word in particular that is touching you mm, it's a good question um well I like the the connected disconnected mm -hmm. right this this I find is beautiful right weave it back in and you even say weave it in and then I do think the weave in the feminine I think that's also hitting really strongly home for me right? I noticed you paused when you said that part yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't even know what my question is. To that. <laughs> I just wanted to. I just wanted to share that, <laughs> and um, and how. Yeah, I just find it so so meaningful and. Yeah, just simply thank you for <laughs> putting this out. Um, and I don't know, before we really close up, I mean, I did kind of my closing speech here <laughs> with my tears in my eyes, but I want to give it back to you. Like, is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you think is, that you want to um, give to the listeners? Um, yes. Mm. So is I ask people this question on my podcast too, and now I see how hard it is to be on the receiving end. <laughs> but I think it's a very good question. So all I can share is what's coming up for me at the moment, and that was as a result of a, a, a coaching call I just got off before, before this, how um, so often what feels heavy for us to carry on our own is also what so many other people are carrying. And I think the more that we can open space to be vulnerable and to share that with one another and to show up in our humanity <laughs> in all of the different spaces that we occupy the more I think we're going to be able to tackle these big challenges we've been talking about but also find a way to do it that um, feels human and feels sustainable and feels fulfilling for us so I guess if any of these topics as you've been listening um, do hit a chord with you is uh, to think about how I can seek out community or just people that I can share this with more openly rather than feeling like we have to, you know, just listen to the podcast on our own and, <laughs> and, and, and stay with, with these topics, feeling like they're ours alone to carry. That was, that was what's coming up right now. <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much, Michelle, for your time, for all that you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for holding space for these conversations. It was really a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Michelle, so much. I am truly so inspired by what you shared. And everybody, go look up Michelle at thegrateful.com on her Instagram, listen to her podcast, go and buy her book. <laughs> um, I will link everything in the show notes. Her two program, Be the Change and Lead the Change, have both a wait list. You can put yourself on, so do that. And her book, The Grateful, which has 70 vegetarian and plant-based recipes I can highly recommend and hop over and listen to her podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please, please head over to iTunes and Spotify, hit those magic five stars and maybe take 10 seconds <laughs> to write a review that really helps the podcast, myself, and also my guests to get visibility and be noticed so that we can all curate our life together as the artists that we are. Thank you for being here 
And if you have any questions for myself or for Michelle, feel free to message us. Thank you.